episode number 213 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording August the 27th, 2023. My name is Eric, host of the show, based in Southern Ontario, hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and of course, computer geek. As a first responder, witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, started a small preparedness company to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. Uh, my name is Ian. I'm new to the show here. I'm uh, happily hermiting back on Vancouver Island. Welcome, Welcome new kid. Yeah, really. <laughs> I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I am a target shooter, a ham radio operator, a general overall handyman, and weather nerd. And I'm Bat Brad. I'm usually in eastern Ontario. Tonight uh, we're on the road. Part-time amateur prepper, constantly trying to better myself. And I'm the Frugal Gunny. I recently moved to northern Ontario, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. I'm an off-gridder, a shooter, hunter, fisher, gatherer, trapper type, and a generalist. And I only recently came to accept that I'm a prepper. First step to solving a problem is admitting you have one, I guess, right? <laughs> you got it. That's what they say. <laughs> well, I, first I just embraced my addiction as a prepper. It's I just moved along from there, and I admitted it a long time ago, so... Anyway, uh, I want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air. You could buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or just if there's a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some uh, digitally secure content for you in this episode. I'm going to start off with some recent news, update to you on our personal preps, where Ian's going to take probably half the show because he hasn't been here in a while. And uh, then we're going to get into the main topic of uh, cybersecurity part two. Ooh, yeah. Let's move into the news. All right, so pour one out for Bob Barker, boys. Uh, he mm -hmm. died at the age of 99 this week, which uh, is ironic, considering he probably got as close to 100 without going over as he could. <laughs> sure wow. did. You beat me to that joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only people of our age would get that one, of course, but uh, yeah, I did I really enjoy the prices right as a kid, and watch them on Happy Gilmore. How can you go wrong, right? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> so, well, this is the first I hear of this, so it's it's literally news for me. Thanks, bud. <laughs> he was on uh, Happy Gilmore or Bob Barker in general. <laughs> no, that he went. <laughs> oh no, I did. yeah, that was just actually just happened yesterday. I think uh, it was it was yeah. kind of sad. It was like every every liked the guy, right? Like he means like one of the few like you know consistently likable guys in Hollywood. So, yeah. anyway, uh, return of masking. So this is where I put the angry face palm emoji on my computer screen or something because uh, <laughs> CNN's already starting to drop stuff. Alex Jones actually yeah. did last week, which we were all kind of laughing about. Because he had some super secret source that was saying masking was coming back, and sure enough, this week, yeah, Alex was right again. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, CNN mentions that uh, it's maybe it's time to consider using them again. But of course, they didn't use recommend surgical masks for fires, which have a much larger particulate size. But they're recommending it for COVID again. So, rant it's over. The, it's the science again. Yeah, it's the science. Oh. I'm gonna anyway. have, have a little quiet chuckle there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, on that note, with the fires and stuff, uh, road closures in the interior of BC. So, um, yeah, I was myself was affected by that. Of course, Carmen and Steve were affected by that in the Okanagan. But uh, I actually just looked up the interactive map as part of my travel plans, 
which I put a link in the show notes, which allows you to see like live updates to the roads, where the fires are, how they're progressing, and everything else. And I think Eric's about to show them in the uh, YouTube chat. So yep. basically, it's a handy tool for uh, planning bug outs or travel or anything else. Um, because, yeah, I mean, wildfires are still uh, carrying on, as, as Jeff will attest to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've got, I'll have kind of piggyback on that that Ian said. The, the wire fires are continuing to cause issues in BC and the Northwest Territories. Uh, I've put a link in there again from CNN. Don't shoot me. Just happened to be a half-decent one this time, believe it or not. Um, that a uh, Kelowna firefighter actually captured a fire NATO on video near Kelowna. Um, I, I think I've, I've mentioned it before. Um, depends on depends on a bunch of different things, but um, a fire uh, can actually create its own weather. And as everybody knows how the hot air rises, and if there's more hot air rising than, than the cooler air that, that can get pumped in, depending where it's coming from, the train of the land, all that stuff, you can actually get a spin and it'll, it'll spin up a tornado. And that's, uh, that's exactly what happens. So uh, it's kind of actually interesting to watch. It's, uh, it's rare, but uh, it's uh, one of those wild phenomenons that happens. Can yeah, fire actually, add sharks? Well, actually, what you mentioned, so Kelowna has their own version of the Loch Ness Monster called the Ogopogo, right? And it's it's famous for you know having Ogopogo settings when people drink beer and stuff. And so if they just had an Ogopogo NATO, it'd just be perfect. Hmm. <laughs> it'd be a good sequel, I think. Or just mix it in with the fire NATO and just Ogopogo fire NATO. Yeah. That, that, might, that might be bad. <laughs> All right, let's, let's move into what we've done lately for prep, shall we? Brad, you're up first. <laughs> work, 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 and more work. And that's about it. I haven't had time to do much of anything else, but work. Unfortunately. That is what it is. Absolutely. I wouldn't know, but okay, whatever. Uh, says the oh, retired guy. <laughs> um, I just did, uh, I did some fuel rotation this week, and I've been... Working away at doing some yard work, I had uh, a few trees come down over the course of a few storms this summer, and another one popped down on the on my side yard there last week. So I'm working away slowly at my own pace, just getting everything cleaned up. Yeah, for myself, uh, same as Brad. It's been work, 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 a little bit more work. Oh yeah, and then some work. There's been uh, absolutely no prepping this week. It's been a lot of work. Awesome. Uh, yeah. As for myself, well, I don't know if you noticed, I've been gone for a while. No. A while? Aren't you yeah. just a new guy? You've never been here. Yeah. I've been <laughs> gone for a better part of uh, eight months, I guess it is, eh? It's been about that. It's been very relaxing. It's been a while. I mean, it's good to have you back. Well, not a lot of bannings or, or you know, explicit <laughs> logo, you know, enables needed or anything else like that. But yeah, what are you going to do? So uh, yeah, so for work, I was unfortunately out in Ontario for... Like I said, about eight months, and uh, basically it required me to commute out there, go to work, finish my shift, and commute right back, and have about a day and a half at home, and then rinse repeat for the last little while. So it's been pretty tough, but a lot of prepping going on. So uh, basically, I did learn a few good things, like you know how important a mag can be, because I used a mag member's uh, spare bedroom that shall remain unnamed, um, and I was able to like live there rent free, and I instead of you know having sex with them or anything else, I just managed to. Uh, do ho uh, work around the house for them and exchange for rent. So I didn't have to like pay any rent. I just used uh, my home improvement skills and uh, I guess painting skills and electrical skills and everything else to 
make it work for uh, for both of us. So I was able to. That's do, what uh, they call it now. Yeah, yeah, electrical <laughs> skills. <laughs> Anyways, so I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's important of a mag for sure, and uh, how bar- the barter economy works too, right? Like, so instead of paying rent in Toronto, which as we know gets stupid, I was able to, yeah, employ some of my my learned skills to uh, to pay my way, which was great. Well, so, awesome. yeah. That being said, um, yeah, not a lot of preps got done at home here, but I was able to uh, make use of like a mobile base, like Claude had mentioned last week, uh, by you know dosing up my car with a bunch of preparedness gear. But we'll get done that later, probably a different episode. Uh, but the good news is I managed to bug out of Ontario successfully again. I think I did it 10 years ago and I swore up and down I'd never go there again. And <laughs> I clearly lied. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, four-day drive, no breakdowns, luckily, because I'd uh, prepped up the car ahead of time, made sure it was mechanically sound, had a bunch of uh, like everything from like uh, the NOCO charger on board to the portable air compressor and everything else to make sure nothing would go wrong up in northern Ontario. Um, and I just had, uh, constant contact with the wife cause she was giving me new diversions for the fires, uh, as far as about highways if were closed or open or whatever. And we were working on alternate routes through BC and stuff. So it worked out well. Nice. Uh, yeah. And the last week I basically just unpacked the loaded up car in Vancouver at my new place. And then I didn't really have time to do much other than just like throw it all in the new place. And then I'll worry about organizing it next week. And then uh, get back here. Uh, in the meantime, uh, just before I left Ontario, I stopped at Radio World and I picked up an SRJ77CA antenna for the Balfang. A couple of them, actually. And um, man, what a difference. How much were they? Such a great store. Great store. Yeah, 35 bucks. So they're the same price as everything else. So you get uh, your diamonds, your, your um, Nagoyas, everything else. Uh, all the same price. But so far, this one has worked the best. And this morning, I made a contact 150 miles away. Now, that being said, it is VHF, it's line of sight, and the repeater is on a mountaintop. So yeah, clearly it's not. That helps. It's not, a, it's not flat, <laughs> yeah. but uh, no, it was amazing. Like considered how clear it was and everything else. And the guy was like, wow, that's actually really impressive because he was doing a net this morning. And so I, I chimed in at the appropriate time and he was uh, surprised I was able to get it. And I, I, I looked up on the, uh, the repeater book and yeah, sure enough, uh, 154 miles or something like that. That's pretty good. Um, that's fantastic. It's not pretty good. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I was, <laughs> and then, even with the other one here, like I had the other one with the, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, counterpoise on it and yep. it didn't do nearly as well so uh just lessons learned right nice uh see here oh well also i was waiting for the ferry to catch the ride back to the island i was using this antenna as well and i was on flat terrain there uh the ferry terminal out on the ocean it's like a mile out in the ocean the jetty sticks and i was able to get a guy on the eastern side of vancouver just line of sight no repeater nice so that was pretty good too i was like so obviously the antenna is definitely worth it um got home played catch up on the farm so i mean everything from like gas that's been sitting around for six seven months that needs to be rotated out i've got like a bunch of stuff to do before the rain starts because we're still in 34 degree heat right now and like high humidity so i'm just sweating like a well i'm yep. sweating badly we'll say it <laughs> yeah, yeah like, i'm not gonna go for the explicit thing just yet um <laughs> yeah save that for your only fans again that's right so anyways uh yeah so i mean there's so much stuff to do around here right now like i've got like a to-do list about a mile high and everything else even like chainsaw repairs and much other stuff so I'll be busy, but nothing this week per, per se. But I just got back from the hot springs trip with the kids as well. Nice. Uh, kids meaning, I guess, my one daughter and her new love interest. So uh, <laughs> that was good. So yeah, I still have two kids with me, but uh, just uh, a new one to me anyways. But uh, he seems to be sticking around for a while. They've been together a year now, so that was kind of cool. And then, he, came, um, he came back from the hot springs? Well, yeah, he does. Did see the shovels at the hot springs? And I was like, I hate to break it to you, but, you know, that's kind of for like, you know, we're going to, you didn't, I might not have noticed the duct tape and the shovel in the back of the car, but 
you know, these things happen. He was actually really good. He'd never been camping before, and he was willing to learn, so we were able to teach him a few of the different things, even just, you know, working a propane stove, which is the stuff huh? like uh, he'd never seen. He'd never been outside of cell phone coverage before, I don't think. Hmm. Um, so that I mean, we were talking about offspring GPS or off, uh, offline GPS apps uh, that work without cell coverage. Talking about all sorts of neat stuff, and he was willing to learn, so that was good. And we we did no, some uh, some plinking and stuff, and yeah, fantastic trip. So Spring that was all good, awesome. and uh, that's pretty much it. Well, look at that. That's about yeah. two hours into the episode, so I'll bring uh, bring everything to a close. <laughs> I think there's only five minutes or less. So I mean, like that's, uh, that's impressive considering you've been gone for about eight months. Oh, just wait till next week. I'm sure it'll get interesting. Really, <laughs> <so. laughs> get synopsis, but yeah. Well, I mean, like. I just it, it drove me nuts, you know, sitting there going back and forth to Ontario all the time, and knowing that stuff was piling up and I was falling behind on certain stuff. It's just it's like a beaver listening to running water. You're just like, yeah. you know, something's got <laughs> something's got to break sooner or later, right? And uh, so yeah, it's, there's a big to do list. Nice. Uh, Dave wants to know if you uh, what's with the no CGN deals. Well, funny story about that. Uh, since they changed the law there with that transfer reference, it's actually very tough as far as I'm concerned to justify doing a lot of sales. Uh, so I may have made a lot of purchases from retail outlets, but not a whole lot of trades. I have uh, did a couple CGN deals, of course, uh, over the last few months, but nothing recently per se, but I might have one done for tomorrow, but we'll, we'll talk uh, about it next week. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's returning to normal. This is good. That's right. All things are getting better in the universe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what about you, Frugal? Well, I'm still working on my friend's solar setup. Uh, just missing a couple of things. We're down to some MC4 connectors and a pair of branch connectors. So we're doing really well. Um, the next portion, the next visit I'm going to be doing over there, I'll, we'll be connecting the solar panels and the batteries. So the core of the, the circuitry is done. The charge controllers are installed, the fuses are all done, the battery disconnects are all installed, the inverter is all mounted, everything is wired to terminal blocks. I've even gone to the step of adding labels and even instructions on in which sequence to turn things on and off, to turn and off, on and off the system. So I'm starting to take on good habits of people who install things for other people, because this was for somebody else. And uh, I actually thoroughly enjoyed myself. So maybe an opportunity down the road. If any of you are looking for an off-grid solar builder, well, come and talk to me. Um, what else have I been doing? Uh, still looking for my new gig. And I uh, did some fuel rotation and, of course, more gear sorting, getting ready for the fall. I think That's you found your new gig. Yeah, I was going to put yourself out there to some solar installers and get some good experience under your belt well it's an interesting thing to think about if any of you are electricians uh in the ontario side or even on the quebec side uh, what i really need to know is can a fellow like me do all of the dc to dc interconnections and just uh, allow the electrician to come in and do any wiring to 110 ac and would that pass if uh there's uh good practices being used so if any of you out there are certified electricians, drop me a line. Uh, you'll uh, hear where to contact me at the end of the show. Are you doing it uh, commercially or just for like for like personal use or for, like friends to kind of barter stuff or 
Well, at the moment, it's just personal, but um, I'm thinking there's an opportunity to do it commercially uh, for clients um, on an as-needed, you know, what do you need done? And then uh, we can go from design, because I've done some design work. I, I've also worked with, in this case, it was a, a store-provided list of components uh, that uh, my friend ordered, and I looked over the list and you know, made a couple of recommendations to upsize and upscale the solution. And uh, there we go. So the order was placed and uh, we picked up all the gear. It all showed up. And um, so from there, I was just using my experience in how things get connected. And an interesting thing I've noted uh, when doing all of this, if you're doing this on your own, take your time to do the research. If you are not buying um, certain brands, of gear where the manual is extensive and complete and I, I'm not pimping any one brand over another here. Uh, I just have had experience with a couple of different brands now and that Renergy brand, there's a reason why it's doing really great out there. This documentation allows a guy like me who has a little bit of DC wiring experience, you know, messing around with cars is where I learned how to do DC. I have some wiring experience from doing wiring work uh, as an IT get the guy uh, doing networking, but it's not the same thing at all. We're not even in the same league. It's not even close to doing uh, automotive grade, and you've got to pay a bit more attention to it than just automotive uh, on the residential side and on off-grid because there's other hazards to consider, right? So um, I'm actually enjoying every second and every minute of it, though. Um, like the idea that I could be paid to do this is thrilling because I'm just enjoying doing it for fun. So that, that's kind of where it's at. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, cause like, uh, you know, when I finished my own basement in Ontario, I just got the ESA to come by the electrical safety authority and they just did an inspection, gave me a, a thumbs up, a little form and said, yeah, it's been inspected. Good to go uh, for insurance purposes and everything else. Now I'm just thinking for commercial. I mean, we did have a solar guy on here before, but he's from BC of course, but mm -hmm. uh, there's gotta be somebody out there that could just tell you like if you need to actually journeyman's papers or not, but I can't, see it per se because if it's like i don't know i would i would imagine you would to do it for somebody else you can yeah. do it in your home all you want but as soon as you're doing it commercially or you're doing it for anybody else i would suspect that the government's going to get involved somewhere and make you do yeah, some good work gotta be some sort of certification for for liability but no. um be interesting yeah yeah something, i'm curious um, to know too something yeah, i know that uh, sorry go ahead brad um <clears throat> my dad ran his own agritourism business for years and we built plenty of outbuildings on the property he learned how to do electrical from the the old uh, huge readers digest fix it yourself do it yourself whatever uh, electrical guide years ago um, he's done it quite a few times with many different buildings um, as long as all of your wiring and connections were essentially exposed before hooking it to the fuse panel and turning it on. The electrical inspector that came out to look at it was perfectly fine with it all. Um, he came out, looked at everything, signed off on it. Um, I don't remember, though, if he had another electrician come out and finish everything off before closing everything up and then you know put drywall finish the drywall all that kind of stuff on it but he didn't have to be a journeyman to do it he just did it had the uh, like like ian said had the inspector come out 
took a look at it, signed off. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Oh. I suspect it, it varies from province to province because I know the codes are similar from province to province, um, but I know implementation and regulation are a little bit different from place to place. Yes. So I've got a yeah, contact there's, there's... on the Quebec side, uh, but I'm starting to reach out to people on the Ontario side because, again, I didn't see the time go by and I had a ton of fun. And well, so, there's also the simplified electrical code book in, uh, and usually Home Depot and a bunch of other places. They'll sell it to you for fifteen bucks or something, and it just is layman's terms, right? For a lot of this stuff, which will at least help you pass for personal stuff. Well, that's perfect. I'll start with that, and then reach out to my. I call them my SMEs, my subject matter <laughs> experts. <laughs> yep. I rely on them a lot, uh, so I'll reach out to them. I, I see a Scott uh, commented here. Uh, he says uh, he thinks the voltage is the line that. Uh, if it's 48 volt DC and less, might not be inspected according to what he's seeing, uh, he's seen or thinking. So, I'm going to follow up on that. I'll be uh, looking through that this week because I just had a ton of fun doing all of that. And uh, you know, it's working with my hands. It's a bit of a cerebral challenge. Um, so yeah, awesome. Yes. Well, with that, let's move into the main topic, shall we? So this evening we're doing cybersecurity part two. So uh, cybersecurity part one was uh, pretty popular and tons and tons of downloads, lots of people watching, uh, freaked the heck out of Pierre, which is even better. And uh, we figured we'd do, uh, we'd do part number two, especially now we've got Gunny here to, to nerd out with me on, uh, on all the techie stuff. So um, I said we want to touch a little bit more on cybersecurity, uh, how it plays into preparedness and just what everybody can do to kind of, keep themselves a little bit safer because um, yeah, a lot of weird things are happening uh, on the interwebs and, and in cyberspace. So it's a good area to kind of focus on when you're, uh, when you're looking at preparedness, even though it might not seem like it. I have to totally agree with Eric on this one. Um, and uh, it is getting more and more interesting. If you even monitor a bit of the news, um, there's, a lot more Wild West type um, break-ins, information leaks everywhere. So it, it's definitely of concern. And almost everyone is connected to the web in some way now. So um, I do have to give a full disclosure because I am no longer active officially in the world of cybersecurity. However, I come from a time when there wasn't degrees in this. Um, in fact, I have taught at a college here in Ottawa, Algonquin College. I have taught at Ottawa U, and I've taught at Carleton U. Not often, but on select topics, I was hired to go and do work. And specifically at Algonquin, I taught people how to configure operating systems and uh, a little bit of hardware there, too. Since then, oh, gosh, I've done a whole ton of stuff. I myself am self-taught. I learned from a book, and I can tell you which book it is. For all of you nerds out there, it is Mark Manazzi's Upgrading PCs and Maintenance. And I believe it was the, gosh, 1987 edition or something like that. It was an older one. They had started talk talking about Windows 3.1, but they haven't really gotten <laughs> yeah. into Windows 95. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that, that's very timely because I think I think my corporation still uses Windows 95 in certain cases. So, I mean, this would be timely right now. It's, so they well, must have I, just recently upgraded that, Ian? Yeah, that's right. 3.1, yeah. I, I, I was present for that transition from 
you know, people don't have a computer to all of a sudden we have some in the schools, but there's only a handful. And all of a sudden there's a, a few nerds in the school. So there's a few computer users in the school to all of a sudden, man, you can go and buy one for less than the price of a car to all of a sudden they're almost as common as a television. Um, Probably more common. And television now, is a computer now. Now I'd say it's more common, isn't it? Yep. Especially if you consider that the average television is now a smart device. So therefore connected it. to Ooh. the internet and now actively doing stuff. So, um, I come, so I come from that background <laughs> of uh, old school. I'm self-taught, uh, but I have a ton of certifications since. Um, I've taught people in hardware and software. First part of my career, I was training people, getting people to use their operating systems, using the internet, using their apps. And then I got into hardening operating systems. And what hardening an operating system is, it's like hardening a house. You're basically trying to make it harder for people to break in and do stuff you don't want them to do, right? And that's basically what I was getting to do at the operating system level, you know, Windows in my particular case was the thing that I was trying to harden. So I was teaching that uh, and then I got into IT security very quickly. And uh, I got out of that, got into consulting and training in between those consulting opportunities. Now I'm out of IT, but I'm still following it. I'm still keeping an eye on things. And I think it's important that people pay attention to the world of security. So there's a lot of buzzwords. There's a lot of questions that people have. Um, so I, I think we should maybe start the discussion by defining some of these buzzwords. What do you, what do you folks think? Actually, I, I'm going to take you right off the rails right now. Here, <laughs> awesome. Here we go. So, you mentioned smart TVs and everything else the like right out the, yes. the chat there. Okay, so for most of my friends, they don't see the problem with smart smart devices, whether it be fridges, TVs, or whatever. And they think it's super convenient because they hook it up to the Wi-Fi. And, of course, it knows everything. knows when you're out of milk. It knows uh, what TV channels you like to watch. The whole works. Cool. Can you <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> sure I, it is. I'm, I'm doing the devil's advocate thing. Yeah. I have got to, I, I'm proud to say I have the dumbest house on the planet because there's not a single thing hooked up to anything except for this thing right here. And it yeah, just gets man. shut off and, and covered in tinfoil once in a while. But anyway, um, so... Can you explain the downfalls to the average listener about what it means when your TV is smart and what it's actually listening to, uh, whether that actually has a camera that can be turned on and off or a microphone that can be turned on and off and that type of thing? Like, where's the downfalls to a smart device? Oh, wow. Yeah, please. <laughs> we're just, I, I, we're just I, going deep right in the I, beginning. I love how Ian opens it up with the, the biggest the biggest question of it all because it, it really encompasses a lot of the topics that we had earmarked for today's show. Um, so what is a smart device? Let's define what smart is, right? So back in the day, a television had a remote control, right? And it was a physical infrared device. And before that, I was the remote control. Do you remember those days? <laughs> I had a cord. Oh, yeah. like actually had a cord all the way down to the couch. You could actually use the remote oh, from the couch. Yeah, yeah. We actually Ooh. had a corded one for a while. That's true. Yeah. But I was the remote control. Okay. So what is a smart TV? A smart TV is one that has a computer built into it. And what it does is adds functionality to the device other than just showing audio and video. So an example, you turn on your television and there are applications that you can access using, with, uh, using your remote control. 
those applications might be a media player to which you can attach you know, a device to your television. You can attach a USB stick or a USB hard drive, for example, and you can watch movies or play photos off of that media, that storage media. That's one of the features a smart television has. Uh, another one is the ability to automatically detect what is connected to the television. So back in the day, an audio or video output was just a dumb thing. It just emitted a signal and you connected a thing to it and the signal moved along the electrical contacts and that was it. Now what we have is we have digitally aware connectors. Um, so for example, your typical connector that um, you can connect your television to a stereo with uh, has now all kinds of digital protections schemes that are attached to that connection so that you can't, um, the, the word and the term that we use in the shadowy world of um, media theft is to rip a movie. So for example, I might um, stream a movie from a known streaming provider such as Disney or Netflix. And if it was not a smart type television, I might be able to hijack that signal right, and digitize that movie into a format and then trade it and sell it. But, you know, um, these are edge cases, but this was something that was an issue back in the 90s. There were people who were using the PC and other audio video reproductive hardware, such as a VCR, for example, to duplicate movies. And the less scrupulous of those people would also use those movies or those recordings to make money. So they would sell them or the even really, really bold ones would actually start their own showrooms. And so you could go to underground movies and watch a really bad rip of a movie being thrown on a bad screen because projectors were not all that great that back then. So again, we're talking about edge cases, but this had the media industry in a twist that people could do this. And so this is where the, the advent of the smart TV came is that we needed to have the ability to control what was coming in and out of the device, your television. And that's when the smart, the idea to add smart features to it began. Now, the thing with smart features is it entails more than just being aware of the content that flows through the device. Okay, so that's one part of what a smart device is. So a smart device knows, okay, you are viewing 1080p video through me at the moment. A smart device will know you are listening to uh, music at the moment because there's audio channels that are busy, but video channel is not. So the smart device knows these things and it can adapt what it's doing. Now, the thing is, is that that smart device also has an operating system. Just like your PC has one, just like your telephone has one, just like your laptop might have, just like your tablet has. And so every operating system has multiple layers of code. And that's because you've got hundreds, if not thousands of people working together to build this operating system. Now, you've probably been in a, a kid and done the, the secret, the shared secret thing where you tell a secret to the friend beside you and then that friend tells the same secret to the next friend beside you and then out oh, it goes in circle and by the time it gets to the last person it's not at all what it started as right okay so there's a little bit of that going on here all right there's a little bit of that going on we kind of forgotten what all of these things are supposed to do and in the operating systems we've got so much code 
that some people work on a portion of the code for just a short amount of time and then they walk away and they never see it again. And somebody else later might work on that piece of code or not. And maybe the only time that code gets maintained is later when somebody reports a bug. Okay, and what's a bug? A bug is a, an unexpected behavior in that code. So all of these so-called smart devices now have all these layers of software that can have bugs. Um, but some of them also have capabilities that are baked into software. Now, this is where people will tell me, oh, you're wearing a tinfoil hat. No, I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. I'm Why not? It's a podcast. <laughs> so uh, as far as I know, a tinfoil hat won't help me. Um, but <laughs> what it will do is cloud my ability to think clearly. So I'm not going to put on the tinfoil hat. But I will tell you that all operating systems have a shared um, infrastructure in code. It's a code infrastructure. I don't want to get too techy about it because I don't want to lose anybody, but it's a part of the operating system that is designed to connect to networks, designed to connect to networks. And we have fancy terms for that in the IT industry. We call it a, a network protocol stack. But all we're talking about is a series of little software programs. And what they do is help your device connect to a network. Now your, your OSI home, model. Uh, right. And that's what we call the OSI model for all of us nerds out there. We study this thing. Now here's the thing. Us nerds aren't the only ones who study it. Okay. There are people who get paid to study everything they can find out about every operating system device you can imagine. And so you have to think of, well, who are those people? Because in the world of cybersecurity, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out who are those known actors who go and search. What are the holes? What are the openings? And Gary, Gary here has identified it. Yes, we're talking about TCP/IP, the uh, Transport Control Protocol, Internet Protocol stack is um, multiple pieces of software that together work to connect your device to the internet. And as we said in the last show. And you have it, if you haven't listened to the last show, I don't want to repeat all of that because that was quite a rant I went on. But in that last show, I explained how TCP IP was never designed to be used on an open network. It was meant to be used on a network protected by a guard, by dogs, by a gate, by multiple barriers of entry before you could get to that wire. And so it was not expected that the great larger public would be connected to it, much less your television. All right. So that's what a smart device is. Now, um, what can a smart television do? Because this is something that people will say, oh, it's a tinfoil hat thing. Okay. I know the answer. I know the answer. Netflix. Please, go ahead, Eric. Netflix. <laughs> it can do Netflix, yes. <laughs> but there are known techniques to exploit any kind of television that has an LED or LCD screen and to use it to spy and transmit information as to what is in your environment. Let me repeat that. All LED and LCD screens can be used to spy on you visually. I well, haven't even talked about the microphone that might be embedded in a device yet. The microphone is one thing, but I mean, yeah, so like you mentioned, <laughs> so like uh, what was that uh, 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 what do you call arcade system that they had out a little while ago where people were interacting dance and it had a camera in it built into the video game that was watching you and stuff and 
Anyways, oh, with Xbox, yeah, the, the Xbox yeah. Live or Pro or whatever Something it's called. Like that, yeah. or, anyways, and so obviously that if it had a camera right in your face, that was one thing. But you're saying even LED screens can do that too. And it's just—is it like more like a uh, an optical thing, or is it like a infrared thing, or how does it work? It's the fact that you essentially have an array. So for those of you who are not familiar with that term, an array is an arrangement of multiples, right? So uh, you have an array of circuits in uh, an, any LED or LCD screen to form multiple points of light. So each one of those points of light is a transmitter, but it also can be turned into a receiver. I'm going to repeat that. The light transmitters on monitors can be turned into receivers. And so your smart device, all that you need to do is to run a software over that smart device to make it do that for you. And so um, a smart device, because it has connections to the open networks, some of them literally have this feature baked into the smart device. So an attacker or a, a, a threat vector, because an attacker implies that it's a human being, but a threat vector could be automated. It could be just an automated piece of malware software that seeks out a smart device and infects it and turns it into a listening device. And so you might be thinking, oh, geez, I don't really worry about my privacy. I'm not doing anything wrong. And, and that might be a very fair point. And, but to that, I would say this. Do you do things that you do in the bedroom outside on the street or on your front yard? Because nobody answer, answer that. If the answer to that <laughs> is yes, then you truly have nothing to fear about surveillance that turns against you. Oh, and but, by the same token, though, nothing you're doing right now is considered wrong, but maybe five years now it might be considered wrong. And so, it, it, again, it's not whether or not you have anything to hide. It's just the principle of privacy, right? Because, I mean, well, yes, right now yes, watching my, yes. my K-pop videos might be okay, but, you know, like five years from now, maybe K-pop will be banned, right? And who knows? Precisely. It should, be, it should already be banned. Like, or, on, my, or, or my brony movies, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it, Ian. You beat me to it. <laughs> so, so the question that, that everybody asks then is, okay, well, how do I build trust in the device? Well, you could always unplug it, but we now know that there are exploits that can use your mobile phone even though the battery has been removed. I'm going to say that again. There are exploits that can use your phone to spy on you even though there is no battery in the phone. That's a fun one, isn't it? Yeah. That's very interesting. So, uh, okay, so what's powering it at that point? Is there a capacitor inbound or inside of it still maintaining right. some power? So this starts to get into the fun stuff. And again, I am not privy to the exact technology, but I understand the mechanism. Essentially, if you are able to create an electric field around something that is a circuit, okay, an electromagnetic field, and beam it towards something that is a circuit, you then also would have the capability to probably detect a response signal back, um, a wavelength, a frequency interaction which changes and alters that wavelength on the way back, similar to a sonar or a radar. So a sonar does this in water, radar does this in the air. 
Um, so if you can emit a field towards a circuit that has no power, you can still receive signal back from that circuit and identify what that circuit is and what it can do. And you might even be able to use the resonant frequency of that thing to then use it as an antenna. People shouldn't be surprised by this because, I mean, if you throw a phone on top of a cordless charging station, I mean, it's still the induction basically to charge a phone. Yes, sir. It's just one <laughs> step above that, right? So. Yes, sir. Got it. That's absolutely right. The, the only thing is, is that this stuff that I'm talking to you about was at one time highly, highly classified, and all this has been leaked. So I'm not telling you anything that's going to get me shot here. Um, all this has been leaked by other people, and that's why I know about it. Um, so um, that, to me, is the danger of any smart device. It has a network protocol stack, and it has other software that runs on top of that device. The network protocol stack alone has vulnerabilities. All of the other software above it also has vulnerabilities. And just to add more complications to everybody, any piece of hardware that you attach and add to the device can also prevent, uh, so, sorry, can also add additional vulnerabilities. I don't know so, if you heard that, but did you hear... I think from in the distance, I could hear Pierre smashing his LED TV with a sledgehammer right now. <laughs> the poor man. I can't oh, no, he's, he's digging a hole. I, yeah, I can't he's just going to live underground. Uh, and, and we've got all kinds of great comments going through the chats here. And it's Do we ever. Uh, because I'm, I'm not the only one who knows about this stuff. In fact, I'm late in the game. Remember, I'm old school. So I come from you know, the world where you, you don't even do this stuff yet. But I've kept an eye on it, and the, the, the fundamentals of what a thing is when it's connected to a network have not changed. It has a TCP IP stack, and it has an operating system, and it has apps and an interface above it that the end user needs to touch in order to make the thing do what it's supposed to do, yep. whether it's a server, whether it's a desktop PC, a laptop, a tablet, a telephone, a ring doorbell, security item, um, I don't know what all the gadgets are anymore, but there are so many. Uh, there are so many, it's unbelievable. Each one of them has multiple vulnerabilities that are well-known. So on that note, uh, VPN, we've always talked about it. We've always talked about using one and everything else. How does the yes. VPN help us at all with any of this stuff? Okay. Uh, I've got great analogies for how VPN works because it has to do, again, with this whole TCP IP thing that I've talked about. Now, over time, you probably didn't hear much about TCP IP, but you might have heard a nerd or a techie say IP address, IP address. So what is that IP address? Because that's what this is about. That's one of the things that allows the whole internet to work. So an IP address is a temporarily assigned most of the time, not always, right? For the end user, it is temporarily assigned. So for you, me, who have an internet service from home, temporarily assigned. If you have a cell phone, it's temporarily assigned. Um, however, if you're running a server, odds are that server is going to have some sort of fixed IP address. So what are those IP addresses? So let's, let's tell you the rules of internetworking, the rules of internet. To communicate over the internet, you must be able to communicate over a unique outside-facing IP address. There are only so many. And so we have had to release new versions of that TCP IP network protocol stack I keep talking about. 
And um, that happened, oh gosh, quite a, quite a ways back, uh, after, the, after Y2K. Um, it was after Y2K, I'd say before 2010, the, most of the main, main providers out there already had the new version of TCPIP rolled out on their backbones and on their carrier grade stuff. For, for everyone here, it doesn't matter what version of TCPIP your device is talking. What is important for you to remember is that it has to be unique. So it's kind of like your address if you need to call 911, if that's something you have in your country or in your jurisdiction. So what's 911? You dial a phone number, a simple one, 911. Through your phone number, they can detect where you are. And through your address, your physical address, they always want to know what is your address? What is your location? They want to know what is that address, that physical address. That is the unique thing that tells you, that tells them where you are. In the network, when you are making a request on the internet, it only gets back to you because your originating IP address is tagged on that request. So when I make a request to go see, uh, geez, let's see, um, CanadianPrepperPodcast.ca, uh, what will happen then is that request goes on to what are called DNS servers, domain name servers. Those are like traffic cops, right? What they do is they, they see, oh, you're going over there. I'm going to direct you over there. And then you direct over there. You go over there. All right now this happens in, in multiple hops so when you make a request over this tcp ip network your request hops over multiple multiple different routers it's going to hop around and each one of those routers might make a request to a domain name server and go hey where is this and the domain server says oh that domain name Prepper podcast, name prepperpodcast.ca is associated with this unique IP and then forwards it on and so on and so forth. And so all of these TCP IP signals or packets is what we call them in our world. These TCP IP packets flowing all over the world are all tagged with your IP address. Any one of the devices that that information flows through has access to your unique IP address. An attacker can use those packets to determine where you are on the network. And if they're very clever and very smart, they might then be able to find out who your internet service provider is. And if they marry that information to other information that might be out there about you, they might be able to represent themselves as you in software or as a live human being like it used to be done back in the day. So a quick question on that one then. So when I go on Gun Nuts, for example, Canadian Gun yes. Nuts, you cannot enter Gun Nuts on a VPN. Uh, they want you to be basically uh, having an open line. Now, their excuse is they're trying to avoid uh, fraud with your sign-in and stuff like that. Right. In reality, is that are they actually preventing anything with that or, or are they just being boomers on this one? Okay, well, this is where it's awesome to have a great question like that because it works on both sides of the fence. You yeah. see, anonymity can help you, the end user, from an attacker who has infected a website and who is harvesting IP addresses to marry to other information. So in that case, the VPN is good because it's helping you. But if I am an attacker 
and I don't want to reveal to anybody what IP address I am attacking from, it would be incumbent upon me to mask that IP address. And that is where the VPN can help you do bad things too. So some attackers will use VPN services to launch attacks or at least to begin the process of what we call fingerprinting. Fingerprinting is like what a thief does when they're scoping out your house or your residence. They're passing by, they're first gonna look at your doors. Then they're gonna look at the driveway. Is there a driveway in and out? Is there an alleyway through which they can see the back? Can they see all your windows? Do you have basement access? Do you have a garage? Are there deadbolts on the doors? They slowly assess your house before they break in. Foolish thieves don't, but a smart thief, this is exactly what they do. They will surveil the house for anything that tells them this is a good place to break in or this is a bad place to break in. And I'll tell you what, they will always go to the easiest place to break in rather than the one that is harder to break into. And that's where the VPN gives you an added layer of security. By masking your IP address, you're making it just a little bit harder for an attacker or a threat vector, some sort of automated threat, uh, from exploiting all of the information that your device can reveal about you. And your IP address specifically, again, reveals where you are connected to your internet service provider. It also would allow an attacker to direct an attack directly to you rather than attracting you to some place where you're gonna get attacked. So it would be the equivalent of, instead of me luring you out of your house, I directly launch something into an open window in your house because I know now where your house is. If so, you have a VPN, it's harder for me to know where your house is in the first place. But, so, so just a question on that. Yes. If they want to know bad enough, they'll still be able to find out it's just a lot more work, correct? Yes. So there, seems to, there seems to be this misnomer out there that if I have a VPN, I'm untraceable, you'll never know who I am, you'll never be able to find me. And The, the weak part in the VPN process is the provider. Yes. You're going to be giving your information to the provider if they are somehow compromised or they are somehow coerced into giving up your information, they hold all of it still. So those IP packets that the frugal was talking about that you're trying to mask on the network by going to a VPN are all initially sent to the VPN first. The VPN then takes it, repackages everything up, changes your IP address and all your identifying information that gets sent in the packets that you're sending out with their information. And then they forward the request out to the internet. And then the information comes back. They know how to match it back up and send it back to you. So they're the man in the middle. If they get compromised, your info's out there again. That's correct. And, and just think, remember everything we talked about, all devices having weaknesses, all network protocol stacks having weaknesses of various different kinds. Mm -hmm. So now you've just added another layer of weaknesses and potential uh, um, vector attack fronts, right? Um, so if somebody knows that I'm using a particular brand of VPN and they really want to get to me, they can just go and attack the VPN provider. Or if they are a state actor, and this is where we in North America have it so good, we, we don't really know what it is like to be pursued by the state 
for what we communicate and do on the internet, although it's yeah. beginning. Uh, I should say we're beginning to get a sense of that here. But however, there are many countries in the world where just the act of doing what you and I are doing here could be enough to throw them in jail. And so um, for them, uh, the risk is much higher. And so therefore, the need to add another layer of security is there. But yes, all of them represent a form of vulnerability of some kind. And, but to, um, be, but to be, be, be clear, you're much better to have one than not to have one, even though there's some vulnerabilities there and yes. nothing's perfect. Yes. Something is better than nothing. Correct. Unequivocally, Jeff. And, and this is where I will, I will qualify. I will tell everybody I do use a VPN. I do use a VPN. Now, if you are going to use a VPN, I would like to recommend a no-log VPN. A no-log VPN service is one where the provider does not keep daily logs of what you are doing on the web. They flush them after a certain amount of time. Um, they might keep subscriber information or payment information, right? And so the VPN provider that I use um, keeps track of your subscription so they know how many hours of VPN you have used. But they don't need an email address. Um, they don't even need you to use a traceable payment method. They accept Bitcoin and other kinds of digital currencies. So there are VPN providers out there. And yes, Jeff, a VPN is better protection than nothing. And if I can refer back to what we talked about in the last episode, I mentioned that in good security, whether you're talking physical or cyber, you build in multiple layers of defense. And so VPN, Jeff, is one of those layers. You're masking your IP address, right? It'd be like being able to mask your license plate, except that's illegal, right? Uh, but it's not illegal to mask your IP address. Well, at least in Canada, like I think in China, you can actually go to jail for using a VPN, right? Yes. Yes, it's true. Yep. Yes, in China, <laughs> using a VPN will land you in jail. No, so now let's talk about CGN because I'm a CGN user, uh, and I've had many times when my particular VPN provider was getting blocked at CGN. So why would CGN then want to block VPNs? Okay, let's talk about that because there's legitimate reasons that they would either want to or not allow VPN. Legitimate reason to not allow VPN, one, if we are allowing equipment exchange on a site and we want to fully claim that we are fully open and transparent and are not allowing fraud of any kind, um, then we might want to do that. The problem is, is there are very legitimate reasons to use a VPN other than wanting to attack or commit fraud or commit crime. And one of those is to protect your privacy and your security. So I've had times when CGN did block me from accessing, and all I wanted to do was browse the front page. Uh, but it seems my particular provider has been reallowed access for now. Now, um, there are also other factors at play. Some websites, and I don't know if this is the case for CGN or not, right? Um, all websites might have different providers on the back end. So a provider on the back end might have networking, hardware, and software that's pre-configured to prevent bad actors from manipulating their customer base or further infecting their customer base. 
what do I mean by this? There are known bad IP addresses where there is malware infected and being distributed from those IP addresses. They might be infected servers. They might be infected desktops. They might be infected network appliances that don't even have an operating system you and I might be familiar with unless you're a techie nerd like me uh, or other techie nerds, you might know, for example, about uh, different operating systems that run on routers, for example, right? Um, so those operating systems also have their own vulnerabilities. So just think about it. Every element of the internet all has vulnerabilities from end to end. So what can you do to help it? Well, you add more layers. So the VPN is one of those layers. Um, another one would be to not have as much exposure out there. Right? If it's not flowing across the internet, you've already reduced your exposure. So um, we brought up digital currencies uh, at one point. We brought up smart devices. Uh, we're talking about doing all kinds of things on the web now, right? The cloud. Well, I have to break it to everybody. The cloud is somebody else's server Hold on. No, no, yeah, it's just the wait, cloud. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. <laughs> so the funny Hold thing on. is, actually, I've, I've actually heard that a lot of people tell me the straight face that it's actually more environmentally friendly to, to store pictures on the cloud than it is to have paper pictures. And I'm like, you realize that there's like thousands of computers having to run and burn electricity to store your pictures versus just having them on paper. They're like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, there's... Yeah, the, 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 thing, the thing is that a lot of the industry talks about green energy. So let's address that for a moment, the cloud and the green energy. All of these huge data centers, my friends, that power your cloud, um, these massive spinning farms of disks and heat generation all require tons and tons and tons of cooling, tons of cooling tons of copper wiring i'm talking tons okay fiber optic that was all laid with you bet it not electrical vehicles gas powered vehicles of some kind d diesel powered oh, vehicles that's right? it we're kicked off youtube that's it we're done so there's there's nothing <laughs> green about generating energy and laying down infrastructure okay let's let's be very very yep. uh, honest about that um and to keep a high uptime and I, I like Jared's uh, swim, uh, following along here really well. Um, to keep that uptime, we have to have massive, uninterruptible power supply systems. Basically, massive, massive battery banks to keep those things online when the power does cut out, because power does cut out everywhere. As we talked about last year, uh, last episode, power goes out. So you're talking about a huge amount of batteries that are created and built and Guess how long the battery life is on a typical UPS? Well, it's not going to last long before it needs to be changed out a couple of years, tops. Absolutely. Usually, I've seen them start to go out after about three years, and usually by five years, they've already started to get glitchy. So the average is between three and five years. So when you're considering the amount of changeover and churn in coolant, in batteries, keep all these massive server farms up and running because people's appetite for storage is insatiable. And that's one thing I learned as an IT administrator. Once you start generating data, it will generate on a logarithmic curve. 
It's unbelievable how much people can generate data once they start getting into the habit of doing so. Well, and not even mention the fact that there's, you know, once you sign the fine print on those end user agreements that we all just tick and agree to without reading, I mean, you, you've actually given up the rights to those digital images to yes. Mother Corp, whether it be Apple or whoever. So yes. not only is there a copy of it in Ogden, Utah with the NSA, but there's also a copy in Apple's servers, <laughs> and they've all got the right to use it Correct. without your consent. Correct. So, so all those feet pics you're selling on OnlyFans, it's like, yeah, they, yep. they got a copy of those too, right? You got it, Ian. I mean, in that one sentence, there's a whole ton to unpack. And man, that was awesome. So, <laughs> so let's talk about it. So anonymity, you got none when you're using your, your cloud storage service. You got none, right? It doesn't it not oh. exist. It's out there on the cloud. All of these poor people who have had their selfies revealed on the web, you know, revenge posts, all of that stuff. A lot of that was just harvested right from those cloud backups. Right from the cloud backups. All those celeb stolen photos you can see out there on the web, stolen from cloud backups. So uh, anonymity, it's a nice idea, but if it's on the cloud, you don't really have it. Um, it's the same thing with those uh, central banking digital currencies. Um, everything is traceable in those. So there is no anonymity. And so uh, the things that we value about cash, the liquidity of cash, the ability to use it in a pinch, the ability to, geez, just go to a thrift store and buy a used item. Um, a lot of people have lived like that. I have. I'm the frugal gunny. I have bought a lot of clothing in thrift stores because I can't afford to buy everything brand new like a lot of people out there think they might. It costs a lot of money, right? So imagine now that you want to go and buy something at a thrift store, but pretty soon your community starts to look down on people who buy things at thrift stores because thrift stores, things are used and used things have germs and germs are bad. You see where I'm going with this? So uh, that's just one example, you know, it's not that far fetched. It just happened in this country in the last two, three years. Well, not only can they turn it off to people who do bad things like attend trucker convoys, but they can also turn it off stores that they don't agree with, as we've seen in yes. certain cases, right? That's right. Uh, whether it be PayPal turning off transaction abilities to certain companies or with CBDCs, maybe your social credit score goes down the drain and all of a sudden you are debanked for Bingo. a certain amount of time. Bingo. Um, so I see, I see a lot of threats out there with um, these new trends that are being pushed by influencers, by the legacy media, um, and by, frankly, I'll just call them what they are, shills. There are people out there who get handsomely paid to push these positions and to push the tech. And they will use influencers to help do this because that helps to promote the usage of the service. And again, I will keep telling people, if it is free, and you are not actively paying for it out of pocket, you are probably the product. And such it is with all information you keep in the cloud and that you're not explicitly paying for and seeing a privacy agreement with, you probably are the product. And I mean like on a 95% probability. I know what they're going to sell my duck lips selfies for, but... I guess there was something. <laughs> well, what's more, what's the most valuable about you, Ian, would be um, your credit information. Because if I have unique identifiers for you, I might be able to obtain a loan 
on your behalf. Um, so there's a number of threats out there. We recently saw how the Interact systems were down for multiple mm -hmm. days. We still don't know why those were down. I wasn't told why they were down. Were you? No, actually, I hadn't heard about that. What was going on? Yeah. So uh, about, uh, about a year ago, uh, there was a major Interact services outage across Canada, and it was because oh. one of the Rogers data centers uh, had some sort of incident. Yeah, sorry, I thought you meant this week. No, no, no. I, uh, no, I remember that one for sure. And, uh, yeah, we all knew something was hinky with that because they never, they were actually... Uh, specifically avoiding trying to explain what happened. <laughs> exactly. Whenever whenever there is too much secrecy, I get concerned. Um, as a they, they eventually came up with, it was a failed upgrade. A software of, upgrade. Uh, and they didn't run anything yeah. in parallel or tandem or beta test or anything. It was just, they just randomly yeah, installed the That's hinky. There's no way that they yeah. would do that. Hinky, 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 hinky. Uh, does not up to me. So mm -hmm. um, there's there's all kinds of threats out there. Uh, on your devices that connect to the internet. There's all kinds. So we, we can elucidate and, and name some of them really quickly. Um, but m basically, you've got technical threats of many kinds. Some of those are developed by genuine hackers who are just curious and want to play. Um, many of them are state-sponsored. There is an agenda behind them. There is a target that they are actively seeking. If you are not the target, maybe they just want your systems as a launch platform. Maybe they just want to gather info. Um, so there's lots of different types of technical threats. You've got individual hackers who might be targeting you um, and wanting to get to you as a person, you as an individual. So technical, it's just going after your device, right? There are people threats. So they're going to send you things like emails, SMS text messages, because they want to get to you. They want to know who you are. What do you have that is of value to me as the, uh, the attacker, right? Can I get your money? Can I get your identity? Those are the things that they are interested in. If they can get actual things from your money and your identity, they do that as soon as they can. So if they obtain card information, the first thing they're going to want to try to do is to connect it to some sort of automated device payment system so they can start making purchases. They want to immediately convert it from currency to a hard thing. What does that tell you about the safety of the currency you are using? Well, yeah, I can't those tangibles on. are better than, than digital anyway. But That's actually, right. I got a question for you here. Yeah. I got an RBC security alert text here that says that they've been temporarily locked out due to an unusual activity. And to regain access, I should click on this link. Oh, yes. Do I it, just, do it, and do it I live. Just give, just give my SIN number right now, right? <laughs> May as well give him your phone. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I, I, so funny scan your yeah. driver's license, send it to them as well. Yeah, remember how the, the good old days they used to say that Apple was unhackable and all this, that, and the other thing, and then, of course, the handwriting thought of text messages. But, yeah, we're getting those almost daily now, like the, the, the phishing texts that are looking for information. Just click on this link and give us everything. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. And they're getting oh, yeah. way, way yeah, better. I got one. I got one a while ago from um, Bank of Nova, um, sorry, uh, Bank of Montreal. I which is amazing. There. I haven't banked there in like twenty-five years. I don't. Have yeah, which is card. amazing. I don't, have, I don't have anything with RBC, and and like, that's what I got this supposedly text from. Too. I was like, that's pretty good. It's um, there. Now the thing is, is we also have 
those kinds of threats that you're seeing, you know, the SMS text messages, but have you had the phone calls? Have you had uh, the phone yeah. calls? All, all day, all the time. Yes. So the phone calls are when they don't have enough on you on the web, then they're going to try and get to you by getting your phone number and talking to you and then pretending to be somebody that they're not. And they're, they'll try and, and give you a sense of urgency, like you have to go quickly. So it's a member of the family that's hurt or hurting or in prison or needs your money. It's your bank that has noticed your bank account's been broken into. Um, it's your email company calling to tell you that there's a problem. It's your ISP calling to tell you that your bank account, that your uh, ISP account's been hacked, right? And they're going to try and, and, and give you the sense of urgency that you have to act quickly. And that's when they start to get you. So um, Joan's way to deal with it is best. You just don't answer them. That was a great comment from Joan here in the comments. Uh, don't answer well, I, them. I, I do the same thing. I don't, I don't answer it, and then I block the number. Well done. Um, and even if you recognize the number, you cannot trust it. A telephone number can be faked. There's actually fact, apps for that. You can actually fake Quite easily, it too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. In fact, it was one of the oldest form of <laughs> hacking was to uh, make phone calls. Phone freaking. And, and yes, it was called freaking, phone freaking, and it was to display an identity that was not the actual one, and it was a well-known way to hack back in that time. Um, so absolutely, you should beware of phone calls because they now know that people are weary, and so they're going back to the old ways where people can drop their defenses a little easier. They try to talk to you. They try to get a human touch out of you, a human connection out of you. And they also are going to want to push for speed. They're going to push for urgency. So um, that's the, the people side of the threats. And there's many different kinds. I just cited one example. You know, there are state-sponsored hackers. They don't care about you. They're trying to take down something in particular. They have a target that they are given. Um, and then finally, there are things that are not targeting you or me or anything else. They just are equally ruthless to everybody. And uh, we call those in the business industry force majeure, uh, large-scale incidents beyond anyone's control. So flooding, asteroids from space, um, hurricane events, things like this could be considered the type of events. Those things can shut down entire countries. They can shut down data centers. They can shut down everything. So those are questions. Some of who are the feds coming for? Well, I, I first I agree with me, but I, I, you know, I, it's not, I, I checked. It wasn't me. So, well, that's, that's in the area I'm in now. There's actually, um, um, uh, firefighters nearby. And so whenever there's an accident, you hear them pretty quickly. Taking uh, off. So there's probably been some sort of emergency out there. So we just kind of talked about a whole bunch of different threats, right? So it's all scary out there, right? Well, this is where I like to put the brakes on. It's not scary. There's ways to deal with all this. Um, now, the best way to deal with all that is to just not use the stuff. So um, back in, that uh, was it 2012, 2013, uh, this American fellow named Edward Snowden, he came out with a whole bunch of information that hadn't yet really officially made it out there on the public airwaves. And they did. And uh, as a result of this, Russia actually changed its way of doing things in areas of the government where there was high levels of security needed. They ditched all digital period. They went back to typewriter and old tradecraft. 
I'm going to say that again. They went back to typewriter and old tradecraft. So I, I would bet that they are using carrier pigeon still. I bet they brought that back. So keep that in mind. Right? Amazing. That's what the Russians did. All right. So now moving on. Um, they also ditched all of Microsoft on their networks. No more Microsoft allowed on their government networks. What did they do to Smart stay move. on? They forked over a distribution of Linux, which is free and open source, and therefore auditable code. Auditable code means a code nerd. I am not one of those. I don't have that gift. But a code nerd can go digging through that code and find threats and vulnerabilities, flag them, and then they can be repaired and fixed through patches. And that's the problem. That software is built so fast today, so quickly by so many people, we can't see all the holes when the software goes out. So what did they do? They took a bunch of Linux free and open source software. They made a copy of that for themselves, and they decided to maintain their own distribution to be used for their purposes. How smart is that? Right? Well, so like, that's whether it be software, guns, cars, whatever, never go for the first version of anything, right? So or the latest version of everything. Always wait for like a couple versions to get down the road so they can be fixed and repaired and vulnerabilities found and everything else. Definitely. So this is why I love free and open source software. Um, it has had a tendency to be more reliable over time than closed software. So closed proprietary software, that's your Windows and Apple platforms. Um, and a lot of uh, commercial operating systems like Unix. Uh, there's a lot of commercial Unix operating systems out there. You've got to buy into those. But those give you capabilities that most of the average human being here are not going to need. But between you and I, I've been using Linux as my daily driver. I'm not going to tell everybody in the world what Linux distribution I use in particular. But I can tell you that there are thousands to choose from. And there is an even better short list of probably a dozen that are very popular, well-maintained, well-kept, well-curated, and do what they're supposed to just about 99% of the time, which is better than most of those proprietary closed private software. So um, that's one way to reduce your exposure to threats, generally speaking, is to use a more open platform. But that's not enough. That's not quite enough. Jeff mentioned one of them, use more layers of protection at a VPN, right? We should all use a VPN if we can. Should you rely it as your ultimate anonymity? No, you can't because you're using things online that have usernames and passwords. There's no anonymity with username and password. Somebody knows what you're doing on the other end, okay? So that being said, other than reducing our usage of stuff online, like social media, uh, online storage apps, online applications where you're using the software literally on somebody else's website, um, that would reduce your personal attack surface because you're no longer spraying data all over the web. Um, another thing you can do is reduce the attack surface on all of your devices. So what do I mean by devices? Oh, this is where the, guess, the list can get long. Do you use Bluetooth in your car? Do you have a phone? Those are all devices. Do you have a ring doorbell uh, system? That's a device. Do you have a wireless speaker system for your stereo? Odds are that's a smart device, right? All of these have vulnerabilities. So what can you do? You can uninstall any unnecessary or unused applications. Um, we used to call that bloatware. 
in the in the PC world. You would receive a PC that come from a vendor, and I'm not going to name names, but they all have done it at one point or another, right? And so you buy this PC, you take it home, and you've got this dozens and dozens of different kinds of software. You have no idea what they're doing on your machine, but it adds an extra 30 to 40 seconds boot up time or stability time to your computer. Uninstall it all if you're not using it. Every piece of software you uninstall reduces the attack surface. It, it's the first like, thing I did when I got a new computer. Spent the day erasing yeah, stuff first. Well done. It's like closing a window. It's, in fact, it's like removing the window altogether. No more window. You board it up. You board it up the window. There's no getting in anymore, right? Um, you can also do things like uh, unlinking any kinds of authorized accounts and services. So lately, I'm having a lot of Windows users who are super frustrated with linked accounts. You would have to log in with some sort of MSN, Hotmail, or Outlook account, or Microsoft account, and they don't want this. So there's a little procedure that you can go through to do this, and you can completely de-link your systems from those online accounts. I'm not sure if that's still doable with Apple systems, but back in the day, it was more or less possible. There are not ways. But it complains a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Apple, I've managed to do things with Apple you shouldn't be able to do, but it's not happy doing it. We'll, we'll admit that. <laughs> um, so turn off uh, also any unnecessary internal services. Okay. So uh, an example on Windows, there's a piece of software that has been hated and much maligned by a lot of people. It's called Cortana. Cortana. What is Cortana? <laughs> It's a software that listens to your microphone and watches your keystrokes for it to detect what your intent is while using the machine. And it will try to anticipate what you want to do and do it for you ahead of time. This would be the number one thing I would want to exploit if you are running it on your system and I want to gather as much information from you. Now there are genuine uses. Talk about a treasure trove. Treasure trove. Now, now, again, it's a double-edged sword. It, does it have a value? Does it have a usage? Yes. If I was to injure my hands, if I was to injure my hands and I was unable to use a mouse, keyboard, or tablet, what do I do then? Well, I'm going to have to talk to the thing, aren't I? So, again, what is often sold as a feature for convenience and for usability can become a massive information leakage problem. So what can you do? If you're not using it, turn it off, right? So turn off all accessibility features if you're not using them, turn off wizards that are running always in the background. Uh, in my experience, memory managers are worse resource hogs than the operating system they're trying to improve. Um, Antivirus software, if it's not kept up to date and well-maintained, can become the worst resource hog on your system because it's constantly wanting to reach out to be updated. You should do this. It is by updating your antivirus software that your own antivirus software has a half-assed ability to detect some kind of threat. And I say half-assed because all of them have holes in them. All of them have holes. So you can't rely on just the antivirus alone. At best, it'll warn you that you're about to browse uh, an infected site. But how does it do that? It's taking your browsing information and sending it to its own server to check the addresses you're browsing. How great is that for your privacy, right? 
and it only knows to look for viruses that have already been discovered and listed on their their list of bad viruses, not the ones that haven't been discovered. So it doesn't precisely, really help precisely. There is this Beating thing it, in the cyber world called zero days, and this is why you cannot rely on software protection. Zero day means you have zero days as an IT security person to prepare for that threat. It is already active. It is in the wild. You do not know it, but it is there. And there are these everywhere. Uh, state security agencies that pay hackers, they go after these, they develop them, and they protect their information on those zero-day exploits very, very closely. Out there in the hacker world, a zero-day is extremely valuable, extremely valuable if you can turn it into an exploit and get it out there before any ability to recognize it digitally is discovered. So that's what a zero day means. It's unknown. Um, so those are always out there. So this is why I talk about reducing attack surface, because if you reduce attack surface, you're generally reducing the ability of unknown vulnerabilities to become a threat to your system. So what else do I do? I actually turn off hardware in the BIOS of laptops and desktops to reduce my attack surface. So if I have an added sound card, in the system, I disable the onboard sound chip right away. If I am wired using a wire, and that's another talk we're gonna have at one point, most of my systems are wired using a wire. If not, in fact, all of them. The only one that isn't wired is my phone. So why do I do that? Well, if it's wireless, you don't even have the guard and the dogs to protect the wire, do you? It's out in the air. You do not need to cross a gate to get to the wire and exploit the vulnerabilities of the IP stack. You're spreading all the way out there in midair. Now, yes, they do have some form of encryption over that signal, but all encryption is based on keys. The first thing that hackers do when they enter into any network is they start looking for encryption keys. And if you're a manufacturer of hardware and they get into your stuff, the first thing they're going to go look for is those encryption keys. Because with that, they've got the keys to the kingdom, as they say. So again, I turn off all unnecessary hardware at the BIOS level. I turn off all firmware. For those of you who know what firmware is, know that you should disable any that you can. For those of you who don't know, don't worry about it. Just keep up on your security patches. Right? Um, turn off Bluetooth on your wireless devices. If you're not using it to connect to a device that is yours, turn it off. That's another layer of security that you have prevented from being accessed, and you're also giving more battery power back to your device. Um, and finally, wireless connections. Turn them off whenever you can. Right? I actually turn off my phone at night completely. I don't want it on. If I don't turn it on because I want the alarm to ring, I put it on airplane mode. It's really much harder to hack your phone if you're not out there connected to a network. Right. Can you trust that when you put it on airplane mode that it's not connected to the network? That's another story. I can't guarantee you that. So again, paranoia is not a bad thing in the world of cybersecurity. Right? So if you have to use online accounts to authenticate for anything, disable them where you can reduce that attack surface. Disable online accounts. Now, here's the cool thing. Every time you turn off, uninstall all that software, all that junk 
all these things I'm talking about, guess what? You're gaining a little bit of extra performance. It's going a little bit faster. Wouldn't you love that with your car? If just taking out all the junk in your car would speed it up? Well, it's the same idea. If you've got two or 300 pounds in your car sitting in the back, that's like having two people in the back. It's going to go slow. Same thing with all the software running in the background, all that bloatware. It's consuming memory cycles. It's consuming CPU cycles. It's generating heat. It's consuming power, draining your battery, adding to your bill. So that's enough about reducing attack surface on all of your devices. Another one is to keep your software up to date. We talked about zero-day vulnerabilities. Well, a lot of the vulnerabilities that are exploited are already known. That's the sin of it. A lot of the infections that are currently rampant through the world are for known vulnerabilities that simply have not been patched for one reason or another. So system administrators, for some reason or another, have not gotten around to applying the fix or preventing the issue, and it repeats itself. So uh, stay on top of your updates. Update your software. Update your um, operating systems. Update your apps if you're using an Apple phone or an Android phone uh, or any other phone, you know, Windows phones, update those apps. And last but not least, just don't use the cyber in the first place. And you know what? That'll get you out of the house. Get out there. Leave the devices behind. Do more things without them, right? Rediscover things how they were done before computers. I often ask that when people ask me, oh, how would you do this on the software side? And the first question is, I flip it right back to them. Well, how did you do it before the computers? And let's talk about what worked and what didn't and concentrate on what worked. And maybe there's something to learn from that, right? Um, so uh, think of how it was done before the computers. And finally, on the web and in real life, so in physical world, back in the day, we used to talk about shoulder surfing, right? Do you enter your pin on your oh, phone? Yeah or a gesture on your phone out there in the middle of a crowd? Or do you try to hide your phone while you're doing it? Because if it was easy for me to tell your password by shoulder surfing on your keyboard, it's even easier if all you're doing is a gesture, or I watch you sign in with your face, and then I bump you out of the way, run away with your phone. Now I've got you, right? Or even I'll just the, cam the cameras above the pin pads in most convenience stores, which always makes me giggle. Yep. Even better, right? So let's let's be let's be smart. So need to know. Apply the need to know principle. Does the whole world need to know that you have a compulsive habit of checking your phone at moments that you feel awkward because you haven't talked to somebody? That's a social problem. Put your phone away. <laughs> Practice good need to know. <laughs> right? Don't reveal to everybody that you're using your phone. Right? In real life, if you're talking about your money situation. Well, where are you when you're talking about that money situation? Are you in the mall? Are you in the restaurant? Are you at a gas station? Are you in traffic in your car with an open window talking on a Bluetooth connection like you have a full, full perfect private space? But if I'm walking down the street, I can see you picking your nose and I can hear your friend giggling on the phone. Is that good infosec? No, that's not good need to know. That's spreading your info all over the world. So remember that good practice and apply it to the web and you'll find that a lot of your life becomes easier, right? Social media has us used to revealing our entire private life out to the world, but in real life, we don't go to the corner store and tell everybody, oh, I just bought a new puppy, right? But yet we feel compelled to announce to the entire world all of that. Well, 
that gives me a social engineering edge on you. If I don't know you, all I have to do is, oh, how's your new puppy doing? And next thing you know, you think that you might know me, but you don't at all. And I'm just pretending and I'm playing you, right? How often does that happen in real life? People get scammed all the time. A lot more than you'd know. A lot well, more than that, we want to admit. That's the right. part that used to make me laugh was um, people would, you know, it's unfortunate, but they would get their house broken into or they would get something broken into. And the question would be, well, who knew that you were going away? Oh, well, all kinds of people because I posted it on Facebook. Facebook. People were going on vacation. <laughs> and I'm like, duh. <laughs> Well, well, after well, I listen to this, I've decided I'm going to add a six to my one, two, three, four, five password. That's it. I, <laughs> I'm, you, you got me convinced now. I need to. Up oh, my and game the nerds listening are shuddering. Yeah, oh my gosh. My game for sure. A, a quick word about passwords. We that'll throw them off, Ian. That'll no, throw them no, no, off. No. Oh, good. I think we're running long tonight. We're probably that's we're an hour and a half mark now. We should probably close her off. I guess. Eh? We are. So I'm going to finish with one password tip. <laughs> A short, complex password is not as good as a long, simple for you to remember password. Almost like a, a Bitcoin passphrase or something, right? You know, Correct. Uh, words. A weird phrase like my blue fish has a green fin when it goes for a drive to go for a golf game. How did you know? Right. So one, two, three, four, really, five. It's a really long one. <laughs> And your, your thing that you're using it with might scream at you. You might have to shorten it a bit. But the longer it is, the harder it is for uh, an automated threat to break it down. So I'll leave it at And that. change it every once in a while. Yes. As often as you can stomach is actually the, the right answer to that. As often as you can stomach. Is three weeks too much? I don't know. How paranoid are you? How secure do you want to be? It's up to you. It's true. I think we're going to have to do a cybersecurity uh, part three episode. There's so many rabbit holes we can go down. There are. All right, sir. But Very if we haven't freaked you out enough, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like I said, Pierre is digging a hole somewhere, throwing all of his electronic devices in, lighting them on fire, and then, uh, you know, doing it again. <laughs> so. I, I can vouch if you drop your iPad in a fire, it is useless. Yep. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, Jeff. Wasn't going to go there. I did burn my iPhone <laughs> unintentionally. It, it definitely was not yeah, hackable then. There you, so yeah. you never know. Never yeah. know. If you didn't burn all the right chips, you can still get the data. Do we even but have anybody still screaming totally go down another time. <laughs> we got 10 people, 10 people still listening. We've been pretty consistent Ooh. through the whole thing. Between 10 to 14 people. So, uh, right on. <laughs> or we've scared a few away and others have shown up. Right on. <laughs> but yeah, the, the the whole idea of this episode again was to just bring everybody around and get them thinking about cybersecurity again and just the, the threat vectors that are out there. Um, it does tie into preparedness because your personal information, if it's out there and it's being used for um, not so great things, it can have a huge impact on your day-to-day -day life. So it's it's important that we uh, keep some, some cyber hygiene going on and keep your stuff locked down. And we're definitely going to do a probably a version three and four episode because this stuff's always changing. There's always new things happening and uh, there seems to be quite the interest in this topic. So I know uh, frugal enjoys doing it. I enjoy talking about this stuff as well. So we can keep going for hours on end. If, uh, if Ian didn't jump in and tell us to stop. Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Did I mentioned it's good having you back Ian. 
we gotta we gotta knock it off at 90 minutes or else the, the, the viewership drops off right <laughs> this is true this is true but we will move into the podcast challenge now so continuing on with the whole cybersecurity uh thoughts for this evening install a vpn or just disconnect all your things and throw them in a hole and light them on fire whichever you think is easiest <laughs> i'm gonna go with vpn or They're less expensive. The carrier pigeon's idea works too. This is true. Yep. Yeah. So, so stay stay tuned for a CPP uh, carrier pigeon edition. We'll send notes out uh, via carrier pigeon and see what happens. <laughs> All right. Upcoming events. So what do we got, Ian? All right. So we got TACOM 2023, September 8th, 9th, and 10th at the International Center in Mississauga. Of course, after I leave, they put on something cool. Anyway, uh, website's there in the show notes, tacomcanada.com, and uh, I'm sure it'll be a barrel of monkeys. It's a giant celebration that you left is what it is. Probably. I, do you blame them, really? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Jeff, you got your weather blurb. Yeah, I'll keep it brief. Um, so I'm presently kind of keeping an eye on two separate um, tropical storms slash hurricanes that are going on. Uh, Hurricane Franklin and Tropical Storm Idalia. So Hurricane Franklin is presently off the east coast of Florida. It's out in the Atlantic Ocean. It's far enough away from the U.S. that it's not going to probably affect them. But there is a chance by uh, Thursday or Friday that it could come close enough to the Maritimes to cause some uh, some rain. You know, we're basically talking the bottom end of uh, Nova Scotia, maybe into uh, Newfoundland. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, Tropical Storm Idalia is currently located about 80 miles east-southwest of Cozumel, Mexico. Um, and it's a pretty slow-moving storm, so it's dumping a lot of rain. Uh, it's expected to bring tropical storm conditions to the Yucatan Peninsula and the extreme western Cuba. Uh, there's uh, tropical storm warnings there. It will probably become or be classified as a hurricane sometime on Tuesday and is projected to make landfall uh, on the northwest side of Florida uh, as early as Wednesday. Excuse me, it'll then zip across the panhandle. Uh, it'll affect Georgia and the Carolinas for sure. And not sure from there which direction it may take. It may affect the Maritimes. It may go up the coast or it may just continue out into the ocean. Um, I'll keep putting updates on to uh, the Discord under the hurricane uh, section if there's anybody that's affected they want to keep track of it i'll keep updating there every once in a while awesome uh we got any uh shout outs for this evening anybody no all right well with that i'll bring episode number 213 of the canadian prepper podcast to an end you can find the podcast on itunes podbean spotify or of course your favorite podcast app please help uh, help us out submit a review it does help other people find us i promise it doesn't help track you online despite <laughs> anything that we said today already <laughs> however we do record these shows live on facebook and youtube so if you want an early peek at the shows please subscribe to the youtube channel Canadian Prepper Podcast and click the notifications tab. It gives you an alert when you are going live. Um, I'm not responsible enough to have my own email, so you can reach me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca or I am frequently on the Discord. You can find me frugal at YouTube, on Facebook and Instagram, and as well on the Can Prepper Podcast Discord. 
Right on. You can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast once in a while, which is on iTunes and YouTube. We record Monday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, because I automatically de-cybered de- myself by getting banned from everything, uh, <laughs> it's unintentionally uh, good offsec, I guess. Uh, I'm also on the Guild app for the uh, Canadian Patriot Podcast, so email us if you want an invite. There you can find us discussing why government waste and society made me join Anonymous. Nice. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat. You can also email me at the feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. <laughs>